Hi there, I'm Keith Pilly, your art pal. This episode, I will be continuing my walk through some architectural highlights of downtown Minneapolis, discussing the IDS Tower. The tower is part of the larger IDS Center, located at 80 South 8th Street and opened in 1973. And just up front here, I am actually going to use tower and center almost interchangeably here, mainly because I'm lazy and because people around Minneapolis don't seem to make much distinction. Just know that um, IDS Center includes the Crystal Court and a few smaller side buildings in addition to IDS Tower. The principal architects for this were Philip Johnson and John Burgey, and we will have more to say about Johnson as we go, believe me. IDS Center was built to be the headquarters for Investors Diversified Services, Inc., which is now known as Ameriprise Financial. The building is mostly office space, with some retail down towards ground level in the ancillary parts of the center. If you have spent any time whatsoever in the Twin Cities, you have seen the IDS Center. If you do an image search for it, you are no doubt going to say, oh, I know that one. It's one of the three extra tall skyscrapers that jut out of downtown Minneapolis. This one is the blue glass one with the black band on top and a couple of antenna masts sticking out. At 57 stories, it's generally agreed to be the tallest building in Minneapolis. There's a little bit of ambiguity there between it and the nearby Capella Tower, which is the one with the big dish-looking thing on top, because of differing views on which parts of the building's top infrastructure counts for height. It comes down to air ducts and window-washing equipment, basically. But in the end, there's sort of a gentleman's agreement that IDS is slightly taller because everyone likes it better. And everyone just seems to go with that. So just how tall is the IDS Tower? Not including the masts sticking out of the top, it's 792 feet. When I started reading George R.R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones books, I was really struck by my imagined visual for the wall of ice he describes on the northern boundary of the Seven Kingdoms. The wall, he says, is 700 feet high. I struggled to figure out like what would that really look like in the real world until it hit me to look up the height of the IDS Center. And there you go, Game of Thrones fans. The wall is about 100 feet shorter than IDS Center. I imagine it would be hard to hit someone with a bow from that height, but uh, that is a problem for someone else's podcast. Anyway, why does everyone love the IDS Center so much? Part of it comes from its clean, simple design. Yes, it's another glass skyscraper, but it's one with enough deviation to make it interesting. One of the first things you notice about it is its cross-section. The building reads as either a big rectangle with the corners chopped off, or as an octagon where half the faces are pixelated. These setbacks, which Philip Johnson called zogs, break the standard boring glass box mold. They also, as every written description of the building is legally required to mention, give each floor a whole lot of corner offices. I would say that the color of the glass helps, too. Somehow, Johnson and Burgey managed to pick a shade of blue that, despite coming from the early 70s, which is basically the low point of human aesthetics, manages to look fresh and modern over 40 years later. Overall, IDS Center is a great example of modernism done well. Modernism in architecture refers to a 20th century movement for clean, simple, supposedly rational buildings that emphasize geometric shapes, usually featuring lots of steel and glass. Done badly, modernism gets you a lot of bland glass boxes. 
done well, you get the city's best skyscraper. I think it's interesting to compare IDS Center, which is almost universally beloved, with a significantly less popular building that has some superficial similarities, the MetLife Building, or as it was originally known, Pan Am Building, in New York. This would be another one that would be good for an image search. The two buildings are of similar height, MetLife is two stories taller, and have a similar octagonal cross-section. Both are tinted glass with a dark band on top. But where IDS has those lively Zog setbacks, MetLife's facets are all smooth, and it makes the building seem leaden and slab-like. It doesn't help, either, that in place of IDS's timeless blue, MetLife is this bland, swampy, brownish color, just adding to its great big slab of crap problem. The MetLife building gets cited pretty frequently as a building New Yorkers would most like to see demolished. I have long thought that the IDS Center looks like the MetLife building redone with all of the mistakes fixed. The differences between the two winds up being a good case study in how details can make or break a building. These little differences and the effects they have are what makes architecture an art rather than a mathematical exercise. To deviate a little bit from the focus on IDS Tower, Let's take a second to talk about another integral part of IDS Center, the Crystal Court. This is a very large, glass-topped atrium space that protrudes from the north side of the tower. The roof of the Crystal Court consists of glass facets that rise from three to eight stories up, creating an amazingly open feeling, although it does leak a lot in there. The main floor of the court functions as a sort of indoor park, complete with benches, uh, little trees, and a pretty cool fountain, all ringed by retail space and an entrance to the main tower. There are even some little birds that live in there, and I've never been able to determine if they were brought in intentionally, or if they just found their way in and were like, yeah, yeah, we can do this. The second floor consists of a large extended catwalk connecting Skyway outlets, again ringed with retail space, and allowing for some great people watching down on the main floor. Johnson described his aim with the Crystal Court as wanting to create, quote, a frolic space. I don't see a ton of frolicking going on in the Crystal Court, but it is an invaluable spiritual aid in the Minnesota winter when you can't go outside, but you just need to go somewhere that's open and airy and not all cooped up. Now, Philip Johnson himself is a pretty fascinating subject. He is a tough guy to get a handle on. He was an out-and-proud gay man in the mid-20th century at a time when that was absolutely not an easy thing to, to be. He was also a Nazi in the 1930s, or at least a pretty ardent American admirer of the Nazis. He dropped the Nazi thing hard after Hitler invaded Poland and spent the rest of his life apologizing and talking about how stupid he was during that period. So, as they say on The Simpsons, in conclusion, Philip Johnson was a land of contrasts. After World War II, Johnson became one of the country's best-known architects, designing a lot of buildings that you have seen and heard of. By contemporary standards, you would call him a star architect. He made the cover of Time magazine back when that actually meant something. Uh, one of Johnson's first well-known projects was a house he designed for himself in 1949 called The Glass House, a one-story rectangular house consisting of glass panes in a dark steel frame. The only opaque part of it was an enclosed bathroom. 
Google Johnson Glasshouse if you haven't seen it. It's really pretty cool. And this is all directly relevant because if you ask me, Johnson's designs for the skyways coming out of IDS Center look an awfully lot like the Glasshouse. I mean, like dead ringers. And this is interesting because the IDS skyways are by far the most pleasant open skyways in downtown Minneapolis. The other skyways, I will walk through them and be happy to get out of the cold, but in a lot of cases, that is as far as the appreciation goes. The IDS skyways, I'll hang out there. I'll linger. I'll check out the view. So good job, Philip Johnson. There was a man who knew how to use glass to enclose space with style. And good job, John Burgie, too. Sorry you always get left out of these discussions, Burgie. It just always seems to happen. Thank you for listening to ArtPal. You can catch show updates, images, and more at ArtPalPod on both Twitter and Instagram. Also, keep an eye out for an upcoming newsletter. If you liked the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform, or just tell a friend. And of course, check out the rest of the season. There's plenty more art and architecture to talk about. Thanks! Thanks!